what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Across from me is Chris. Hello, podcast land. Sitting here at the podcast recording studio in beautiful downtown Hickory, North Carolina, ready to record and talk about a new episode of Foot Candle Films here. And Chris, we're going to depart a little bit from our normal format on this show, if that's okay with you this time. So no like strange Hawaiian headgear wearing. We're going to depart from that. We're not going to do that. That's correct. We are wearing different clothes than we normally wear during our recordings. Okay. Um, We're just trying to mix it up a little bit. Uh, We're not going to do typical movie news and we're not going to end the show with a recommendation like we normally do because we have some very important matters to attend to. We have some business to attend to in this episode. We will do one review of a film spotlight that I'm sure many of you have maybe heard about batted around in Oscar conversations. Uh, We will be reviewing that film. But after that, we're actually going to talk a little bit about the Oscar nominations for this year. And we've got our kind of recap of some of the bigger categories on that list, our thoughts on who we think might win, as well as our thoughts on who we wish would win. But then what we're going to do is we're going to end up, officially end up 2015, by you and I recapping our favorite films of 2015, as well as our biggest surprise, our biggest disappointment, and to throw a little negativity in the mix, <laughs> the worst film that we saw that was released in 2015. Maybe maybe we won't end on that. Maybe we'll be that like next Maybe we do to that last. first. Maybe oh, we first. just go ahead okay, and get it out of the way. Yeah, get the way. negativity okay. out of the way. Get the disappointment and the worst film out of the way. Then we can go on and end on Spread a very high-spirited note of positivity. Awesome. Yes. Sounds good. That's the plan for this episode. Again, it's a little different, but we, we do know we've got some things to attend to to close out 2015 officially from a movie-going year for us. So let's get right into the show with our one main film review as we talk about uh, the latest, uh, based on a factual event drama, the film is Spotlight. The Boston priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Spotlight. We've got two stories here. A story about degenerate clergy and a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child abuse into a cottage industry. Which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one. They knew and they let it happen. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. Spotlight is the 2015 drama that is nominated for some Academy Awards, and it's the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic archdiocese in, in Boston. It stars Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, and... The dude from Mad Men. I can never remember his name. Uh, John Slattery. John sorry. Slattery. The sorry, dude John. from Mad Men. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> the dude from Mad Men. Not John Hamm, but John Slattery. Uh, Leif Schreiber and Stanley Tucci. Just murderer's row of you know big stars in this. 
It comes to us from Mr. Tom McCarthy, who also we have talked about two of his other films here on the podcast, Win Win and The Visitor. So also for candle films that we brought to our film society with Spotlight, Alan, to kind of kick off our discussion. I want to talk about a little bit just briefly how you think it's possible that Tom McCarthy wrote and directed The Cobbler and then went straight to make Spotlight. And for those of yeah. you who don't know what The Cobbler is, it's the latest Adam Sandler, well, one of the latest Adam Sandler vehicles uh, that was critically derided by anyone who saw it. So, uh, Alan, how, you know, talk How does the director about, traverse from one polar extreme to the other? Yes. Here's my theory on it. Okay. And I will lead into my thoughts on Spotlight from sure. this, but... Uh, I have not seen The Cobbler. Okay. Haven't I, had that pleasure. I yet. actually have. Okay. Specifically, podcast listeners, I did it because I knew we were going to be reviewing Spotlight, and I wanted to see you The Cobbler. To have a little I want, okay. Yeah. Here's my here's my guess, and tell me if I'm off base okay. on this. We'll do um, the Visitor, Win Win, The Station Agent. Mm-hmm. All very, very good movies. Yes. But all dealing with real situations and real characters. Correct. My understanding is the cobbler dealt with a lot of fantasy elements. Absolutely. It's a co- Adam Sandler, I guess you could call it a comedy, but yes. definitely he plays a shoe, a cobbler, mm-hmm. and he repairs shoes. And when he puts on these people's shoes, he basically transforms yeah. into them. So maybe my argument would be is that Tom McCarthy is really good when it comes to real people with real dramatic situations acting out those dramatic situations. But when you try to turn it to comedy and fantasy, that's just not his thing. I would agree. Okay. <laughs> so leading from that, uh, how does he make spotlight work? Well, I loved win, win, and I loved, um, the visitor and I love the station agent. So I also loved spotlight. I thought spotlight was extremely well done. I, I'm probably a little slanted toward this film just because of the nature of the film. I love, I love films that dig into the ins and outs of how people do their job. Okay. To me, that's always fascinating. And this film does, for me, the, the best thing I could say about this film is that I really felt like I was right in the middle of newspaper office politics and the ins and outs of what's having to be done to pursue the story they're going after. And I did feel like the movie captured the questions that they were posing one another. I felt the tension when there was meant to be tension between coworkers on what their next move is to be. It just worked. It just was very authentic and worked for me really well. Yes. Even separating it from the subject matter of the actual crime that was being covered up and the whole controversy around it. I mean, this could have been about any subject. Sure. It's more the dynamics of these five, six people running this newspaper and how they're interacting with one another and how, uh, you know, I'll just kind of allude to uh, what to me is one of my favorite scenes is the scene where they really have a blow up about how they're going to proceed with a story. And to me, it's like, yes, that I totally could see that happening. When you get to this point, they've worked all night and day for weeks or months on the story. They're passionate about it, but yet for some kind of a little bit of a political, a little bit of a maneuvering move, they're not going to do anything with it yet for a certain reason. And you just feel that same frustration, but understanding at the same time of why they're doing what they're doing. And I thought scenes like that extremely well handled. So I really did enjoy this film. I thought the acting almost universally top to bottom was really, really strong. I got a few little nitpicks we can talk about in a moment, but otherwise I I just felt like it was a really solid, solid film. 
very much an all the president's men feel to it, which I also really like that film. So to have a film where I really feel like I'm in the process, especially from an investigative news reporting, something we don't get a whole lot of of these days. I think a little bit of that remembering how important it is for investigators really doing a deep research job on a story in today's digital internet age of trying to get articles and post out as quickly as possible. We don't get to explore and enjoy that anymore. So I just, I thought the film was really, really well made and really well done. And I enjoyed it immensely. I'm, I'm on the exact same page with you. Okay. I, I really enjoyed it. thought the acting was great across the board. Um, yeah, a couple of misgivings, but nothing, nothing huge. Nothing show stopping um, just, yeah. And nothing, you know, yeah, nothing show stopping. One of the things that struck me, you know, it is a heavy movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's a heavy subject matter, but they kept the movie, the story moving and they didn't dwell on any more negative details than they had to. I mean, we're talking about child abuse, very Mm -hmm. serious and they could have chosen to make it more upsetting. Oh yeah. And they didn't, there were a couple, there was a couple of instances where the person was going to describe the abuse and Mm -hmm. they could have let this person sit there and anguish on screen and go into great detail. But instead they would kind of cut away. Yeah. And I thought that was a good choice because it's like, you know, we know, we know the bad stuff. We know what child abuse is. And instead of, you know, really making you suffer, they didn't, they just said, you know, we're going to, they kept the film moving and kept it as light. If you can say that mm-hmm. as possible, by just showing you the journalistic process. And well, I thought that that was by doing refreshing. That, Cause by it, doing that, it puts the viewer in the journalist's shoes. Sure. Because the journalist doesn't, get flashbacks to show a crime being committed. They only get told what the person they're interviewing tells them happened. Right. That's what we, as the viewer in this film got as well. They could have been so exploitive with this. And as somebody was describing something that happened to him as a child, we get some sort of visual reenactment on screen, which, you know, some films will do sure, and just play with the emotions and then just go over the top with it. And this film refused to do that, which was great. We heard, what little details we did here, which I, I agree the film did a good job of not letting those moments dwell. This wasn't about hearing every little detail. And in, in, in essence, the film became about the cover-up, not the actual explicit acts that happened. Sure. Um, and I also like the fact that other than one scene towards late in the film, we never really saw any children. I mean, so we're dealing with all this as adults talking about these situations that happened to them. Right. And we didn't get exploited into having kids on screen being faced with situations that are going to automatically pull at our heartstrings more than normal. So I thought they did a great job of, we only know what the journalists found out through their own means, which is important. And something that I did not expect to think you mentioned how this is kind of like a modern day version of all the president's men. Cause mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a newspaper story. It's a journalism story. And I didn't expect to come away from the film with a sense of loss and a sense of sadness in that, I feel like that type of reporting is not really, I mean, maybe it is being done. I'm not really aware of it as much, but you know, newspapers are dying off. Mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned every, the media and online internet stuff is all instant, you know, and that's news and whether or not it's research or whether or not, who knows, even if it's true, it's just, it's all out there and everything is so immediate. And it made me kind of pine for the days when people got their, the majority of their news from newspapers, yeah. from mm-hmm. journalists that actually spent a lot of time researching and, you know, checking sources and all that. And it just made me, I didn't expect to come away from the movie with a sadness of that kind of an art form or a craft that is going away. Yeah, and that okay. really, 
that kind of surprised me, especially too the contrast in tone, totally different type of movie, but you've mentioned it in the past, Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. which taught, which was all about, you know, TV news and the whole, you know, negative spin on that, that it's all about ratings. And so now contrast that with journalism where they show the competitive side of trying to get to a story first and trying mm-hmm. to do this stuff, but you still see the importance of making sure it's as factual as possible. Yeah, sure. And so it just, under the contrast of that, just really, it made me sad in a way that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting to be, you know, informed and mm-hmm. saddened by the child abuse scandal and all that, but I wasn't expecting to also kind of feel a sense of loss about journalism. So yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. I am um, one of actually, and all mm-hmm. one of my favorite shots in the movie, and it doesn't, and it was kind of touching on this, and it made me. I was like, oh wow they show the Boston Globe offices and kind of in the background, there's a big AOL billboard. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it's kind of like, it was promoting some, you know, hot new AOL service. And, you know, some of our listeners may not even what, know what AOL is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. you know, there's, it's, so that kind of internet service and kind of like, oh, this is a hot new thing in like journalism. And it's kind of like the coming of the internet, but still like AOL is now not that big a deal anyway. Right. And so it's like, I don't know that the passing of things and kind of saying like, knocking on the newspaper's doors, you're not going to be important soon. Well, so, who knows? What, I, what I liked is how many times we heard characters say to one another, uh, did we get multiple sources on this or did mm-hmm. we get any confirmation on this? And, you know, it, it, these guys are playing integrity. I mean, this is not about let's just spit something out there to get a controversy started or get, get hits on our website or anything. It truly is. These guys are still very invested in the idea of investigative research and having to have everything collaborated corroborated between multiple parties and, and, and a lot of backing evidence of it and not releasing it until we know we've got everything covered. Uh, it was just, it was good to see that kind of integrity in a field like this in a film such as this. Um, talking about some of the acting uh, in it. Sure. Um, you know, a, a big cast, but um, some, some showy parts and some not so much. You know, right now, Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams are the ones that got supporting actor and actress nominations. Right. Michael Keaton, Played the uh, editor, uh, uh, mainly focused on Spotlight, uh, Robbie Robinson. We got Liv Schreiber as Marty Baron, who came in as a new editor over the the Globe. That was my favorite performance of the film. I think okay. Liv, Liv Schreiber in a small, very understated role. Just I don't know what it was, but just he is exactly what I would have expected. So I coming in. He's the new editor. He's a very no nonsense guy, and he just nailed it. I and not a showy great. performance, oh, no, but just a strong all. performance. Probably the least showy performance of all of them, but I thought it was the most effective. Um, Rachel McAdams was fine. I, I don't quite understand the supporting actress you, nomination on no, this. It's interesting. Yeah, I thought she did a great job, but as far as setting it apart for supporting actress, I was kind of surprised that she got a nomination. I was too. I was kind of. Mark Ruffalo, I, I think, okay, I could see the nomination there, although. I personally would have given it to Michael Keaton. I think Michael Keaton was a little stronger myself personally. I think he had more to do in the story as well, where Mark Ruffalo's character, Mike R- R- Rivendez, he's the dogged young, kind of more energetic, passionate one. And he had a one really showy scene towards the end. I was about to say, you know, the argument I, I, scene. I liked both of them, but the thing that made me say, Oh, okay. That's, why that's the Oscar, the Oscar clip. Yeah. Right. The, the Oscar yeah. clip towards the end where he is having a disagreement yeah. with one of the members of the spotlight team, I actually was really moved by that scene, mm-hmm. um, which it was not. Good. Yeah, I was like, see, and wow. I was moved by both characters. I mean, because the Michael Keaton character, Robbie Robinson, had to play the stoic, kind of let him get beat up on. And right. you could kind of see it in his face that he he sympathized with the guy. But 
he had to he had to play the role he has to play, and it was it was just a really good scene all the way around. Everybody involved. Yeah. So um, John Slattery, the the, the Madman guy, the guy from Mad Men, was was good as uh, another editor there at the newspaper. Stanley Tucci as one of the a lawyer mm-hmm. representing. You know, he just he's good anyway, yeah, kind of a scene stealer in a way. But mm-hmm. uh, but every that's interesting thing about this movie is basically, I don't know that you could say there's a lead actor. It's basically a film full of supporting actor turns because it was yeah. a true ensemble cast. There were you know several members of Spotlight, and so yeah, I just was really, I thought it was really cool how it was kind of spread around. You called out, you thought uh, Liv Schreiber as Marty Baron was good, mm-hmm. and he was. One of the performances, I guess because I had no idea who this guy is, I still don't know who he is, mm-hmm. but he really jumped out to me as like, wow, that dude is really good. So much to the point where I was wondering if he was like maybe a first time actor. I don't know mm-hmm. if he is, but he played an abuse victim Yeah, and his name is Phil Saviano and he was a guy, the actor's name is Neil Huff. So Neil, mm-hmm. if you've been in hundreds of movies, sorry, I've never really recognized you before. But he comes in to talk to the spotlight team. Yeah, he was good. And his, I don't know, his intensity as somebody who's been through abuse and annoy and his portrayal of annoyance at not being listened to mm-hmm. without being like, you're just like, oh, the guy's a weirdo. Don't pay any attention. Like, just because he's so mm-hmm. grating, because he yeah. wasn't grating. I don't know, just so, for lack of a better term, authentic that I was like, wow, that was really impressive. And also it has to do with how the other actors react to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's good for them too, because they really kind of soak it in and just the little, you know, ticks on their faces, the way that they kind of look at each other. It's like, all right, you know, it's just, well, they impressive. needed his performance to be one where some people would talk about him like he's a crackpot, which they did. Some which people they did. They did. in hallways later in the film were like, Oh, that guy, that guy's off his rock or whatever. But you needed his performance to be where some people could feel that way about him. But the people in the spotlight team, when he's talking to them, they may be a little abrased by his behavior, but they're seeing where he's coming from and they're understanding that, wow, okay, no, this guy's telling us some stuff that really is fueling the story. So his character had to do both, and I think it, it did it really well. Now, I agree. I thought really acting-wise, top to bottom, I thought was really strong. I mean, even uh, – uh, one of the other members of the spotlight team, not a big name actor, Brian Darcy James. Okay. He was really good. I he mean, was he, somebody else. Yeah. He had like a familiar face, yeah. I guess. I guess maybe I thought he was um, not, oh man, was, I can't, th- Will Arnett, maybe not Will Arnett. Um, one of the Saturday he, Night Live He looks a little people. bit like Will Arnett. Maybe it is um, Will Arnett, but, but it's like something yeah. about his face, but mm-hmm. totally it's, it's not him, obviously. It's yeah. Brian Darcy. James. But, but, I mean, all the acting was really, really yeah. strong, I thought. It was so, really good. So I got to give credit you know, to the director for pulling out great performances. And, then, of course, the story lends itself to it as well. But it was really strong. So, yeah, no, I really, really like this movie a lot. And, uh, you know, I we showed it two nights in a row at our film society. I saw it the first night. And I really wanted to see it the second night. But I hadn't seen the big short that was playing up in the adjoining theater. So I got to go see that one. But this is a film I could have watched a second time and been very happy doing so. Well, we're both positive on that, but we both mentioned that we have some tiny misgivings. So, Alan, I'm going to go to you first. What was what was the misgiving? Um, I, I thought the score didn't work um, in some places. It almost was a little – I hate saying this. It's Howard Shore is the, the, the composer, and he's a good composer. He's been around for many, many years. The score just had a little too TV movie feel to it. It was almost like – just just a couple moments to score, I felt lessened the quality of the film a little bit. Not that I need a big, swelling, 
orchestra, uh, you know, behind this movie. I'm I'm fine with no score. Hmm. But a couple times, like when they would have montages of them researching or going out and talking to people, the the score was just a little less impressive than the rest of the movie was, I thought. So, Hmm. again, minor misgiving. It was really only maybe two or three moments I even thought about it during the movie. Said I didn't. I I've noticed the score once or twice, but I when I was noticing it, I did actually like it. I thought it really fit the moments that I was hmm. noticing. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I just thought I just didn't think it fit as well. And the only other misgiving, again, I always love it when a film can be very creative cinematography, and this one does not lend itself to any creativity cinematography no. wise. The directing is very straightforward. There wasn't a lot of innovative use to it, and I'm fine with that. I really am. What could have made this film? awesome (laughs) is just a little more visual flourish in a few places the most impressive we had was more framing of shots where you had a lot of scenes the (laughs) AL billboard there are a lot of scenes where you have the houses and apartments and you've got the churches in the background almost like encompassing them and kind of encompassing the city and I know it's obviously very intentional to do that I just, you know, that would have like made this film awesome. It's just a little more visual flourish, and if the score had been a lot stronger, that's that's my only. And they're both small. I mean, a film like this, I don't need the camera to be doing crazy things or weird angles. But at the same time, a few times I just felt like the shots were just so simple that it's just the acting and the story is in the writing is what set it from being a TV movie in some situations from a production standpoint. Anyway, again, like I said, very minor. What, what sure. do you have? Anything? Um, one minor thing that I've is, is is very minor. There's some smoke and mirrors done with John Slattery's character, and to me, at least, it kind of led me thinking down one path, and it turns mm-hmm. out that was completely innocuous, and actually comes to shadow another member yeah. of the journalism team. And I thought that was kind of unnecessary, and I guess done to maybe add some intrigue to whatever to what otherwise would be a very plain story about mm. newspaper people researching a topic. Um, but I thought that was maybe a little unnecessary, kind of like to just add, you know, it's like yeah. you're trying to be straightforward. It didn't need to be no. that. We learned that one of the characters had some personal connections to the case right. with friends and other people, and I thought that was interesting enough. They could have explored that instead of doing the little the, the kind of the intrigue of right. A little tinge of a mystery, which I, I agree didn't really need to be there. So the other thing that I'll say is um, the framing of the churches in the background when different interviews are going on. That you know, it's not too bad. It didn't bother me. I um, mean, it makes sense. And so there, there again, these are both your quibbles, my quibbles, both very minor. So we have but, to find something. We're reviewers. We're reviewing right. the film. We got to find something. In to pick the apart. midst of these different interviews, at one point there is somebody who says like. He he say, he points. He's being interviewed. and He's like, "Oh, and there's a church, and there's a playground," and he kind of states it outright. Mm-hmm. And I kind of didn't need that, and mm-hmm. but it wasn't too jarring. But an example of that, where I thought it worked, was there's a subject that is being interviewed, and then later in the movie you see him. He's a abuse victim, and later in the movie you see him. I think it's maybe Mark Ruffalo is rushing to go somewhere. I can't remember the instance, but he's. You know, the character, the action's going on, but you just see him with his kid out on a playground, and he just has this kind of vacant stare. And it's a very passing mm-hmm. kind of shot, but it's just there that. to. But I, I kind of appreciated I appreciated that touch more, yeah. I guess. Yeah, our, our so, quibbles are very, very minor. They are. They, they are, are very extremely minor. minor. Overall, one, very, very positive, too, strong film. Even though, 
you know, one thing that I thought was cool too, and there again, I would actually say, I, you know, Tom McCarthy, he's never been very visual anyway mm. as a director and doesn't push his cinematographer to do like crazy shots and stuff or fancy stuff. But the mere fact that this is about journalism mm-hmm. and it's about kind of the slog of having to do the work and nothing fancy and you can't, you know, um, made it kind of cool too that you saw the streets and you saw houses and you saw churches in the background, but everything was very kind of confined on a, on a human personal level. And only at the very end of the film, do you actually see of like a wide shot of mm. Boston, of yeah, the city of Boston. Yeah. And like, you know, normally when they're trying to set the scene, you see like Boston, they show you all these like cityscapes of Boston, but they never really did that. And I thought that was kind of a, it was a, it was a good touch. No, I agree. So, I, yeah, I was really impressed with the film. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, it sounds like we're both on the same page, giving it a very strong recommendation. So that is Spotlight. That is, uh, I'm sure, still playing somewhere available nearby. Uh, of course, we'll be anxious to see if it does any any damage at the Oscars at all. It is nominated for quite a few things. Yes. I will say the buzz on it has probably been diminished a little bit in recent months. And we'll talk about that when we get to our Oscar picks. Thank you, Mr. In just a second. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, uh, but anyway, that's Spotlight giving a good, strong recommendation from both of us. And I believe if it's not already, it's going to be out on iTunes really soon. Oh, good. Great. So well, I definitely recommend everybody checking it out. All right. So let's move right on into our next segment, if we can, before we take a break. Let's do our Oscars talk. Okay. And then we'll do a break and come back with our best of the year recap for us. Chris and I, we're film reviewers. We have a film society. We host a film festival. So the Oscars are one of those kind of foregone standard things that we have to talk about. Yeah. Although, uh, Chris, I know, and you're probably a little more down on it than I am, but I'm also not like supercharged about it. Yeah, you know, the whole awards thing for films, they never quite seem to match up with the films that I really feel like are worthy of it. It's a little more political. It's a little more who's got good money to promote the films, unfortunately. Right. right. However, it is really the most prestigious thing we've got going as far as awarding films and recognizing films. So that's why we talk about it. Sure. Not to say that we're huge, just, you know, we feel like the Oscars are the end all be all. Although I will say, and kind of highlighting a little bit of this for us, as I go through the list of, no- of nominations, you and I put together both who we'd like to see win and who we think's going to win. Sure. There's actually a lot of these categories where I'm right in lockstep with where I think they're going to go and I'm hoping they're going to go. So more than normal, more, normally my it's polar opposites. I've got my favorite and then I know the Academy is going to go this way. Sure. There's, there's a lot more that are kind of in the same line this year. So it's going to be interesting. I'm curious to see if you feel the same way about it too. Okay. So let's do this, Chris. We're not going to hit every topic, every nomination topic because there's a lot of these that – some of them we just haven't seen the films, this you know, a lot of the short films especially. So we don't feel qualified to make any educated guess on who should win or is going to win these. Our screeners are lost somewhere. Yeah, they keep sending them to the wrong address for me, okay. so I'll have to kind of hunt those down somewhere. <laughs> uh, but let's hit the, the topics we do know that we can talk intelligently about. That okay. sounds good to you. And I'm going to do it in a little bit of kind of reverse order going from – I don't want to say lesser awards because these are all equally important awards, but ones that are probably not going to be the showy awards. Okay. Let's kind of start a little backwards. Sure. Can we do that? And we'll end with big best picture and all that. Let's start with writing, okay. uh, the screenplays. You know, there's two writing categories. There's the adapted screenplay, meaning they took a pre-existing piece of, uh, of, of writing and have adopted, adapted it to the, to the film. 
And then you've got original screenplays. So starting with adapted screenplay, we've got the nominations, The Big Short, Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room. With that, Chris, who do you think is going to win the Oscar for adapted screenplay? See, yeah, the, these, even though I've seen the majority of these films, haven't seen Carolyn, or Carol, haven't seen Brooklyn. That was a combination, Carolyn, Brooklyn, and Carol. Carol. Um, <laughs> so I haven't seen those two, but I, you know, I've heard a lot about them. So it's still kind of a guess, you know? Um, I really, I really don't know. Um, I'm going to say, because I think it may be the one thing it walks away with. I'm going to say the big short is my mm. guess for uh, who I think will win the adapted screenplay, although I don't really have an idea. And I actually, I actually, this is probably why I'm guessing this. I, I want it to win. So that's your, <laughs> that's your guess and your desire. And my desire. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably is unfair that it's swaying it that way, but oh well. <laughs> well, my guess and my desire are both for room, which I oh, still think okay. uh, very strong adapted screenplay. Um, Unfortunately, we're probably both going to be wrong, and it'll probably be Carol. But um, <laughs> I kind of feel like Room could win it, and I'd like to see Room win it. A, a, a second for me would be The Big Short. But it, you and I talked briefly about The Big Short, even after I just saw it last night. And from a screenplay standpoint, I think it does a very, very strong job in the first two-thirds of really walking us through and making the story something to digest and something to follow listeners I think it just, it's about the financial collapse of 2008 that's right so i just think the the, the the i think it really peters out in the last third and that kind of holds me back from saying it's such a really good strong screenplay because i feel like the last third they could have done so much more to help connect it in the same style they did in the first two thirds so so we got big short in room as two uh that we're kind of hoping or, or thinking might might walk away with that adaptive screenplay why don't you read off the original screenplay ones for us? Okay, we have Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Out of Compton, or as I like to call it, Straight Out of Compton. <laughs> yeah, you're putting the very uh, polished spin on it yes. there. So with this, um, I think and I hope it will be Spotlight. I almost said Ex Machina uh... because that would be fun to see that one win. But I just after seeing Spotlight just last night or two nights ago, I, I think the dialogue Spotlight is such a richer dialogue movie, top to bottom. Ex Machina has some really great dialogue scenes, but there's a lot more going on in Ex Machina than just the dialogue. And I think Spotlight is the dialogue is the movie. I mean, that's that's what drives the entire film. I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I think Spotlight will win. I kind of would like, and I and I want it to win because you know it's. I think it'll win because it's an Oscar-y type yeah. screenplay. You know, it's about something important. You take things like Ex Machina, Inside Out, Straight Out of Compton, not so much. You know, mm-hmm. they're good screenplays, but not like Oscar-y material. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas I think Spotlight is, and I want it to win because I really admired the film and that may be the yeah. only thing it walks away with. I will say, like you, I kind of think it would have been cool if Ex Machina would have won. But I like sci-fi. And, yeah. you know, you've heard on the show that we were very favorable of that movie. So yeah. I will say, spoiler, I think Inside Out could come from out of nowhere and take it, though. Mm, Maybe. Okay. All right. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock. I wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be like, <gasps> never like yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Okay. So that's our writing. Uh, let, me, let me skip up a couple here. I, I do want to ask you about music original score. Okay. I don't know if you've given some thought to that. Sure. Um, the nominations are Bridge of Spies, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Sicario, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I, I 
the one thing about the Hateful Eight that I really did admire <laughs> was the score. So I've and got it's it got down. some buzz behind it because that Morricone came yeah. back and made this score specifically for Tarantino, yeah. and it was yeah. So I did put it down as both what I would like to see win and what I think may win is the Hateful Eight. What about you? I, I'm kind of in the same ballpark. However, you know, John Williams' Star Wars Awakens. You never know, and John Williams is such a force. And the movie uh, was the, the movie force. was he's a force <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I didn't I even do that. that on purpose. Yeah, um, the movie was really well received. Yeah, but um, here's my problem with the score on, on the Force Awakens. I mean, seventy five percent of it is derivative of the original Star Wars themes. So you know there was some new content put in there, but honestly, the new score, the new themes and songs are really not what anybody's remembering at all. So. That's my only thing. If it's a makeup award to say, hey, by the way, your body of Star Wars related work, we're going to recognize it. But I just, uh, I don't know. I think it's, there's too much, uh, there's too much, uh, you know, it's, it's derivative sure. of the original stuff. Rightfully so. That's the way it should have been. It's just, I think it's hard to give it an award for that. So we won't go into great detail, but do you think just because it is nominated for a couple of other categories, visual effects, sound mixing, sound editing, do you think Star Wars is going to walk away with any of those, or do you think it's going to be a Mad Max Fury Road firestorm? What do you What do you think? I think it's going to be Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, I do. Only because the Mad Max Fury Road, uh, you know, the use of practical effects, the overall sheer audacity of what they did with that film versus the CGI. Oh, great! Force Awakens did a great job of using both practical and CGI so much more than most any other Star Wars movie had in the last 20 years. But I think Mad Max is going to walk away with a lot of these technical awards. I really do. Okay. Fair enough. Um, How about let's hit film editing. This is just one I think is is really interesting. Um, You know, we have the big short, we have Mad Max Fury Road, the Revenant spotlight and Star Wars is for the force awakens. As I look at this list, Chris, and I guess this is the way I look at film editing. Tell me if you see it a different way or, or what, I look at films like Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yes, it is a competently well-edited film. Sure. But there's nothing about the editing that makes me stand back and say, whoa, what are they doing? This is really cool. It's really interesting. Spotlight, same thing. Very competently edited. Mm -hmm. Shots lasted the exact right beat, and they didn't last longer than they needed to. They didn't go shorter than they needed to and all that. The Revenant was a lot of long takes. I mean, to me, editing was probably a lot more minimal in Revenant than most other films. Hmm. Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, technically, that's. I I think Mad Max Fury Road could probably win film editing because it was a much more chaotic style of editing to convey the action it needed to. But I thought the editing in the big short was really interesting. I just thought it was a little more daring. It was just, let's cut lines off in the middle of sentences because we want to kind of jar you into the next moment. Hmm. And we won't seems to be some protracted long and then others are just really, really quicker than you would expect. It was just a lot more innovative with the editing. So I would like to see the big short win for film editing. I think it's going to be Mad Max Fury Road. But what what are your thoughts um, there? I, I don't really know who I would want to win, but I, th- I think Mad Max Fury Road is probably the lock for who will win. Yeah. So. It just, the editing helped really carry the energy of that film as much as it did. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Why don't you rattle off a uh, documentary, best documentary okay. for us. Best documentary feature nominees are Amy, Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What Happened, Miss Simone, and Winter on Fire, colon, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Alan, out of these five, I've actually been lucky enough to see 
all five of them. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> so I've only seen like, three of the five. It's like a rarity where I've actually seen all the films in the category. Uh, what What did you pick for? Well, I would love to see Amy win just because I still really like the fact that it was used all archival footage, but mm-hmm. they were able to weave it together in such a way that it made it for a really compelling documentary. Got you. Um, I think the look of silence will win though, only because there's a lot more going into making the look of silence. I mean, it was a grueling documentary to make. It's one a grueling one to watch. Um, there's a lot more production and elements involved in making that film work. Um, I just enjoyed Amy more. So, you know, for what sure. that's worth, what about you? Well, you know, I, there were, because I actually got to see these, which was nice. And you just recently saw the look of silence, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, that, and that I, was, we, you have you and I have not talked about your thoughts on it. We okay. haven't. Um, I caught up with them and look of silence was the last, the very last one I caught up with. I think it's a very strong, all these films are very strong, mm-hmm. but if you're playing like Oscar politics, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think Amy and what happened, Miss Simone will cancel each other out. Okay. Because they're both, you know, musical figures. Right. They both have kind of some tragedy stories. Tragedy to them. I think edging on the Amy behalf would be that it is like original found footage type thing mm-hmm. that does give it kind of a uniqueness, but I think they'll kind of cancel each other out in like voters minds. Just the kind of the shagginess, the rough nature of some of the stuff for winter on fire, I think would not make it a, a mm-hmm. winner. So that leaves us with uh look of silence and cartel land. Okay. Um, I, I want Look of Silence to win. Okay. And I think it will. Okay. And kind of for the same reasons you did, it's kind of the sequel piece to The Act of Killing, which mm-hmm. we reviewed on the show. Mm-hmm. And it is very Oscar-y. Basically, yeah. Cartel Land is too, and is a very interesting documentary. It's actually on Netflix, so I mm-hmm. recommend people, or you can get it on Apple iTunes. I recommend, I highly recommend that one. It's a really good documentary and it's unique because it's basically like this guy embeds himself in with like drug activity going on down in May. It's not like it was, you know, archival footage, but no, it's documentary. The documentarian is like running around with these Mm, people. Wow. Now, whether or not he should be, or is he like nuts for doing that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a whole nother issue, but just kind of amazing stuff to get to see unfold. But I still go with, uh, Look of silence silence because of, well, let me ask you, since you and I haven't talked about this, look of silence. How did you feel compared to the act of killing? You know, I need to see active killing again because active killing, when you and I saw that we reviewed it, that was my first exposure to kind of the whole, the history and the situation of what had happened and how these people, there was like a genocide and they Mm. were wiping out people who, you know, they thought were communists and kind of the, just the really rough nature and how the people responsible were people that were in power now and mm-hmm. basically weren't held accountable for the war atrocities they did. So my exposure to that idea happened in Act of Killing. Okay. Here, it's done in less of a flashy way, mm-hmm. and it's basically just a series of interviews of this guy who's an optometrist, and he you know, comes in con- or at- gets in contact with these meetings with these people while he's treating them for eye care. Mm-hmm. But Interesting. he yeah. asks them about you know, what they did. And you would think that that would play out the same way over and over. It would get kind of repetitive or get boring, but it doesn't to me. And there's kind of a reveal of something that happened as far as his storyline, which he lost his brother because mm-hmm. of the killings that were going on. And But a what, brother he really, never really knew. True, true. He, he died before he was diff- born. They right, were very right. different ages. But he knows how it affected his mom and dad. Yes, exactly. And 
kind of a revelation that kind of comes towards the end of the film about some circumstances surrounding his brother's death and the reaction of those revelations to him and to his uh, mother specifically. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. And just, I... Yeah, so I've, I've, I liked Look of Silence. Maybe a little bit better than you, but I think yeah. if I were to go back and... It'd be, I'd need to go back and see Active Killing again and yeah. see how I compare them. Active Killing was just so... Not just unnerving, and you admired the difficulty of getting that film made, but it was also just odd and weird and just had enough interesting things going in. In the gut-wrenching scene at the top of the roof at oh, the man. end, it just yeah. still kills me. Now, I will say, uh, The Look of Silence had a one of the most nerve-wracking film, uh, scenes I've seen, where he's talking with the whole family about their father oh, gee whiz. and confronting about some of his crimes. And yeah. the tension in that meeting was intense. And the mother gets up and leaves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, well, it was tough. And I know, as we talked about with Active Killing, we were kind of unsure. You don't know if the documentarian is kind of entrapping some of these people Mm -hmm. or how, well, with look of silence specifically in that scene that you're talking about, there is footage of an earlier time where the wife and her husband are, are there talking to a camera. Mm -hmm. Then they're interviewing the husband apparently has passed on. So it's Mm -hmm. just the wife and her children and he's asking her questions and she's kind of like, Oh, I don't really remember. A laptop is pulled out. And that footage is then like played. It's basically like, here's what I'm talking about. That's tough. There was some really tough scenes in that film. I I just think the act of killing just had a much more dynamic feel to it as a documentary where look of silence. I kind of feel like it's almost like the B sides. It's like, yeah, here's another storyline that kind of supports the first film. A little bit of a step down as far as the impact we really get from it. But this is stuff that's just too good for us not to do something not to with. Show. So that's kind of the way I felt with it. But it's still very, very good. I think I think it's got a good chance of winning because Act of Killing did not win. Correct. And I think that was a real crime. This may be a little bit of a makeup to it I as think well. 20 so. Feet from Stardom won instead. It did. And I was really surprised at that. Yeah. I will say I liked Act of Killing. I think kind of the um, the set pieces of making them reenact stuff kind of got maybe in the way a little bit. I mean, that mm. was the whole pretense of how he got these people drawn in. Yeah. He was letting them reenact stuff, and they thought that was cool because they thought it was like a Hollywood movie. But maybe in a way, maybe the reason I prefer Look of Silence is because it's laser-focused. It's this one yeah, guy sure. tracking down, kind of yeah. having these interactions. So both good films. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. We had a little side conversation about documentaries there. Nice. So let's move on to directing. Okay. Um, best director... The nominations we have are The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Chris, where do you think the Oscar, whose hand will be grabbing the Oscar, Oscar night? Unfortunately, the same guy who won it last last year, year. and that has not happened for 88 years, has only happened once before, and it was like Mm -hmm. something like 88 years ago. I think Inaritu is going to win again this year, and I really... Well, I'm with you. I think he will. Now, let's talk about who we want to win. Though. Okay, sure. Who do you want to have win? Um, I think it would be kind of cool if um, either Mad Max or Big Short would yeah. win. But I think the one that I would want to win if I got to pick one was actually um, the guy we just talked about, Thomas McCarthy, really? for Spotlight. Because okay. even though it wasn't fancy direction, I just admire well, that it wasn't showing he like made this film. And honestly... He gets a little bit of the 
hey, good for you that he came off cobbler. <laughs> he came off cobbler. He rebounded nicely and made spot because cobbler, like you know, I'd heard other movie critics talk about like what just happened. Like it would be no stranger than if David Lynch made like. I don't like a weekend at Bernie's a weekend at Bernie's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just straight up right comedy. Like, or like may the, like, yeah, a reboot of weekend at Bernie's that was playing it straight for laughs. And it was like normal. Like it wouldn't be any stranger. Tom McCarthy making the cobbler was bizarre. And it wasn't like he just directed it. He helped write it. Oh, it's yeah. like, what? So yeah, I, I kind of the, that so you think spotlight will get, you would like to see spotlight get the director, all the back to back movies. The Revenant will. Yeah. I'm so. with you that. I think the Revenant will win. Now, who do you want to win? I, I would really like to see George Miller win for Mad Max Fury Road only because I think it's time the Oscar recognized the directing skill involved in making a An really action. good action movie. And Mad Max, Fury Road, <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road, 75% of the movie is action. Yeah. And it's some of the best well-made action we've seen in a really long time. Um, it's rated R, but I was intent on showing my children Mad Max Fury Road. I knew a couple of the scenes to kind of skip through that. And there's just one or two moments that are a little, a little more over the top. Sure. But I just wanted them to see it. I'm like, guys, look at this. This is like... Very little of this movie is CGI. Very little of it's on a green screen. It's like when you're seeing the cars coming down the road and people jumping from car to car, that is happening. It's right. like, that is real. And just think about uh, you know George Miller making this happen. So I'd love to see him win director. Okay, you've convinced um, me. Who I want to win is now uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. I just I, think the art of making an action movie has gotten so derided over the years that when we actually do make a really good one, I think somebody ought to get some credit you know, for it. I think I will probably jump up and down and scream like crazy if he wins instead of an R2. That will make mm. me so happy. Chris, I will be able to hear Chris's screams all the way across town at his house. Absolutely. If that happens, so. Absolutely. Yeah. That will make me so I think you'll be happy, happy if anybody but an R2 wins. But if it's Mad Max, I think you'll be. Tr- that yeah, is a true statement. I think you'll be very excited. <laughs> you know, the big short you mentioned as a possibility, Adam McKay. It would be really cool to see Adam McKay win. A con- guy known for making comedies, yeah. often with Will Ferrell. And, and again, <laughs> I'll say for the big short, the first two thirds of it, I'm on board. I'm loving the movie. Sure. It's just that last third. It's like, oh, you just it just kind of let me down, and it just did not hold up at the end. So, if it could have been the whole movie, that first half of the style, I would have just loved it. So, anyway. Um, let's go on to cinematography. Okay. Uh, you want to hit the nominees for that? Sure. We have Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Sicario. I'm going to say I think The Revenant's going to win. Okay. But I would love to see Mad Max Fury Road win. Well, I think that, um, I'm actually going to say that I think Mad Max Fury Road's going to win. You think it will? And, um, that's who I want to win. Is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, and in, there again, we have some Revenant bias creeping in. But I just think, I don't know, visual, you know, the visuals. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just not that impressed with just snow and people freezing. Well, that, you know, but, I'll bet there are it some. it was poorly shot. It was yeah, well shot. There are shot. some really good shots. No, I will, the one thing, the Revenant, I mean, I don't despise the Revenant as much. Or <laughs> definitely don't despise, despise any to you because I really love Birdman. Right. Um but I'll admit, you know, the things the movie had going for me, I even said in my review, was the cinematography I thought really worked. However, I admire Mad Max Fury Road from a cinematography standpoint so much more. So, And I think if they're going to give them something, I don't see them really giving them directing, but I could see them being doing so. And grand, you don't give the director the cinematography, but I, yeah. if you're trying to give the film something to walk away with. Well, it'd be nice to be able to say the Oscar-winning Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, that's cool. So... <laughs> 
Um, animated feature. I, I think this one's a pretty easy one to predict, I would guess. Uh, even though we've got An- Anomalisa, we've got Boy in the World, we've got Inside Out, Shaun the Sheep movie, and when Mammy was there, <laughs> Inside Out's going to win. It, I, I agree. Inside I have not seen win. Anomalisa, but I admire Anomalisa already more than any of the other ones. It's a Charlie Kaufman. And I would love to see it win. I know it's not going to. I know right. Inside Out will win. So, right. um, Yeah. I, what's crazy to me about this category is usually because I have younger children. They're getting older, though. Um, I've usually seen the majority of the films, or at least I've heard of them. Yeah. Boy in the World and When Marnie Was There, never heard of either one of those. It was and a weak, I think that is yeah. awesome. It is. It was a, it was a, I say, and I don't mean weak as a negative. It was a weak year in terms of animation from the big studios. Gotcha. In other words, we didn't have the big popular movies that were just eating up all the attention from animated sources. Well, a lot of times we so, have like a DreamWorks versus Disney battle yeah, going on. But there was on no DreamWorks in here. Right. The Pixar film did get nominated and probably will win. But outside that one Pixar film, it was all independent animation more or less you know which is really cool yeah i i got to see uh i've only seen two because of what i was saying i saw inside out and i saw sean the sheep and uh i liked sean the sheep but yeah i think inside out will probably walk away with mm. it who do i want to win it's kind of stupid to say because i haven't even seen the movie like you mm-hmm. were saying but i'd really think it would be cool if anomalisa would win i did too also, just the audacity of making it the way they made it and, and the subject matter involved. what's kind of crazy it's an r-rated yeah. movie but it'd be kind of be cool because this you know i think in people's heads which is why it won't win but in people's heads that you hear animated features like oh okay what kid movie is going to yeah. win it but it shouldn't have to be that way I so agree. that's why i think anomalisa without being seen I think it would be amazing. And I have heard a lot of people say they really thought it was good. You know, critics do really like it. So, cool. but I don't think it'll win. <laughs> well, let's, let's hit the acting categories and we'll kind of go through these a little quickly here. We got four of them to cover. So let's go first with actress in a supporting role. We've got Jennifer Jason Lee for the hateful eight, Rooney Mara for Carol, Rachel McAdams for spotlight, Alicia Vikander for the Danish girl and Kate Winslet for Steve jobs. Chris, who will win? Actress in a supporting role. Who will win? This this is tough. And actually, who will win and who I want to win are not the same person, but they could end up like it's it's very close. Okay. I think it's going to really come down to like mm-hmm. last minute. And having not seen Carol, this is really hard for me to judge. But I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Rooney Mara will win for Carol, uh, and then Jennifer Jason Lee is who I want to win now. Hmm. Early on, you know, the buzz, I think, was saying that she was going to get it. So it was like I wanted her to win and she was going to win, Jennifer Jason Lee. But now I've heard actually that Rooney Mara – or excuse me, I think her name's supposed to be Mara and not Mara. All right. I, <laughs> um, uh, I, think, so. I think Alicia Vikander is going to win. Really? Yeah, that's just my, my gut check feel from what I'm picking Are up. Are you thinking the, it's the, the sympathy vote because Danish Girl's not going to get anything, anything else. else? Just like sympathy vote for Carol, that's not going to get anything else. And it's a little so. bit of Alicia Vikander right now. It's kind of a little bit of getting to be the it girl as far as like – New films. I mean, Ex Machina. She she's was really the one thing I want to see about Danish Girl. I yeah. want to see her in that because otherwise I wouldn't care. So about I kind of feel like she may pull up the upset a little bit on okay. this one. Uh, but I'll be honest, the one I'd love to see win, uh, Kate Winslet and Steve Jobs. I thought she really? was really, really, that was wow. the one element of that movie I liked. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the movie better than you, but... Um, no, I thought, huh, I thought Kate Winslet was really strong in that movie. Really good. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee would probably be a close second for me as far as wanting to see, again... 
she was in a movie that I did not care for terribly much. She right. was really good and strong in it. So I, to me, actress in a supporting role is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, it could be any, almost any of those five right now. And we already talked about Rachel McAdams that we didn't really quite understand how she got in this, this, and, this group of five, and, but it was a solid performance. And we're being clear. Yeah, yeah. It's not that we thought she was bad. It's just, you look at the other performances that we've seen and they kind of jump out a little bit more. Mm. Like, even though I didn't, Kate Winslet and Steve Jobs, I could see she was a much, she kind of jumped out and she was very mm. central, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. I don't know. That, that one I think is going to be a really interesting category to watch. Agreed. At the ceremony. Actor in a supporting role. Uh, Chris, why don't you hit these for us? Sure. We have uh, Christian Bale in The Big Short, Tom Hardy in The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone in Creed. Alan. I'm saying I would be so happy if Mark Rylance from Bridge of Spies won this because I do think he should win it. I think Sylvester Stallone's going to win it for Creed. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this. Yes. Have you seen Creed yet? I have not. Okay. Creed is one of the few on my still my list I've not gotten to yet. Sure. Unfortunately, it was not playing upstairs last night, so right. the Big Short was instead. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, as of last night, I have now seen all of these performances. Mm-hmm. I have also heard Buzz that Mr. Sylvester Stallone is going to win for Creed. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not who I want to win. Right. Nor do I think it's the strongest performance. Okay. Um, you look at these other performances, you know, and I think they're all very, very, yes. very strong and could it's almost be, category. yeah, like screen time, ba- you know, Bale, Hardy, and Ruffalo, I think all are almost, could consider almost being like actor- Lead actor roles, almost. Um, Christian is, Bale and Mark Ruffalo, yes. Tom Hardy, you know, is still very I much supporting. Yeah, I mean, well, but you he wouldn't film. be the lead compared to Caprio, exactly. but you're saying he's very important. It's like almost sure. two leads. Absolutely. Okay, so very close. Mark Rylance, I really like him, but I admit that it's a, his screen time just doesn't give it's, it. It's, and you want smaller. more with that character. Smaller, so yeah. my who I would want to win is kind of a tie between Ruffalo and Rylance. Now, mm. that being said... You know, I think Sylvester Stallone will win. Is there again, kind of like Rachel McAdams, not a bad performance. I think it's the nostalgia yeah, and the, symph- the sympathy vote for uh, Sylvester Stallone because normally he doesn't make you know movies that are well regarded and hasn't in a long time since right. he was snubbed back when he did the original Rocky and he was nominated but not given an Oscar. His performance in the movie is good, is really good. I good. would probably say one of the best things he's ever done. While I was watching it, it did. There's a scene which i'm sure just like ruffalo you're kind of like yep that's the oscar clip it's kind of a scene where he's talking to michael b jordan and he's kind of talking about age and kind of saying some Mm. things really well written really well acted and not over the top good performance but i just i hate to see in such a what i feel like is a really strong category it really is i hate to see like the sympathy thing kind of walk away with it but not sympathy but the nostalgia thing well even the one that i think has the least shot of winning i thought was a really good performance christian bell in the big short yeah i thought christian bell was really good in that movie i just saw it last night it's still his performance in it was one of my favorite performances in the film so but i think he's got the least shot of winning and yet to think that that's the strong. That's a strong category. Uh, the awards. It's interesting. The supporting actress, honestly, I think is a toss up with five characters. Uh, I, I really don't know who's going to win. Actor is five very strong supporting roles. I mean, we've got an interesting categories to look at with both of those. I, I regret that I think The Big Short is such a good movie, and is so seemingly 
if it had been better positioned, more Oscar Beatty, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it has a lot of big names in it. It's about an important subject. It's about you know the financial collapse. And, but I, I regret that unless it, I think it walks away with an Oscar, which I don't know if it will, people just aren't going to remember it. Oh, like yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that like the general public won't. So, um, actress in a leading role. We've okay. got Kate Blanchett and Carol. Brie Larson in Room, Jennifer Lawrence in Joy, Charlotte Rampling, 45 Years, and Circe Ronan for Brooklyn. Chris, who's getting the Oscar? I think, uh, and there again, Buzz, Golden Globes win. I think Brie Larson's going to get it for Room, and that's who I want to get it. Same here. So. Nope, we're on the same page. Okay. I, again, it's a very strong category. Charlotte Rampling is getting a lot of acclaim she for is. her role, 45 Years. Uh, Circe Ronan, a lot of acclaim for Brooklyn. You know, Jennifer Lawrence, that's the only one that crept in there that kind of surprised me. I'm like, really, Joy? Because Joy just didn't get a lot of love yeah, from anywhere. But it is a David O. Russell film. It is. And so. uh, and then Kate Blanchett for Carol. Actually, a lot of people were surprised Carol didn't get more love than it did. So, But Brie Larson just seems to have everything going in the right direction. And I'm with you. That's the one I want to see win. And I do think she will win. So, um, Actor in a leading role. This is the category. I will say of all the categories, I think this is the weakest acting category of the four. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd kind of have yeah, to read agree. off the nominees for us here, but I just, I just, hey, go ahead. <laughs> well, first, the ones that nobody's surprised about Matt Damon in The Martian, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs. Those are the three that nobody's surprised because you heard stuff when these movies are coming out. Now, Brian Cranston in Trumbo. Yeah. Okay, maybe a little surprised by that. And then Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. I just, yeah, you know, I look at all five of these and it's just like, well, Brian Cranston and Trumbo, uh, nobody saw that film. Right. And I, I really couldn't tell you anything about his performance. Matt Damon, The Martian. The Martian was a great, entertaining film. But I didn't think Matt Damon did anything extraordinary from an acting standpoint in this film. Right. Um, so I'm kind of surprised it is in there. It's in there more for the popularity vote than anything. Um, DiCaprio, I got to give it. Of these five... I guess he deserves the Oscar. I mean, you know, I guess I, I mean, got to give it to like, somebody. <laughs> it was a strong performance. It was a much more physical, grueling performance than a, a vocal performance. But it was a of the five. It's like the best acting job I saw. Michael Fassbender. I love Michael Fassbender. And I do think he added an interesting slant to the Steve Jobs character. But I wasn't blown away by his performance. So I'm going to say I think DiCaprio should win. And I think he will win. I'm pretty sure he'll win. Yeah. Um, you know, he won the Golden Globes. Everybody was talking about. You know, he suffered during the shooting of the film and ate only mm. fingers and toenails of bears or something like that. <laughs> you know, he I, I think he will win. And actually, you know, despite my feelings of the film in general, yeah. you think you should win. You, you know, think it's this, this is me kind of, you know, going back on, you know, the nostalgia vote about Sylvester Stallone and his like body of work. I like DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I didn't like The Revenant. But I kind of want him to be rewarded for his body of work. Because even though he's a younger dude, um, as opposed to like Sylvester Stallone, he's he's done a lot of projects very carefully these last 10 years. And he doesn't always do safe stuff. You know, he's done all films all all over the place. So I I, I want him to win. And I, you know, honestly, I think he'll give a pretty cool speech. No, I think so too. (laughs) So So, so the two lead acting. Thing, Brie Larson and Leonardo DiCaprio. I think both are going to win. And those I won't, are, those and are I, kind of locks. And I want those two to win. That's, sure. I would be actually kind of disappointed if somebody other than those two won those categories. Sure. So let's go. So it's interesting. The supporting roles, to me, are a big toss-up. Could go any different direction. I have no bearing on those. The lead actors, I feel like, are pretty locked in. And I'd be shocked if it wasn't one of those two. Agreed. And then we got Best Picture. Uh, the Big Short, 
Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. I'm going to tell you, I loved Room. You're going to hear me talk about Room at our best of the year. <laughs> That's the one I would love to see win Best Picture. It will not win Best Picture. I think it's going to be The Revenant, but I would love to see it be Room. Actually, I would love to see it be Room, Mad Max Fury Road, or Spotlight. I would be happy with any of those three winning. Revenant, I don't feel like is a best picture, but I got a feeling it's going to win it. I, I, Revenant, I, I think will win. I don't want it to, obviously, for all the reasons mm. I've talked about. Um, me, personally, I, I want Spotlight to win because I feel like Spotlight or Big Short. Those are the one because I feel like they're really good movies about really important mm-hmm. subjects that are going to kind of be dropped by the wayside. Um, so both of those are my favorites. And, you know, it would be kind of funny if out of nowhere Mad Max won. But, yeah, the Revenant's probably going to win. Yeah. So. Okay. So that is our Oscar picks. Again, we didn't hit every category because there's some of these we just don't have any clue about. We haven't seen the films. Can't really talk about them. So we'll just kind of breeze right through them. But we are – Putting our ballots together, I know we are going to do a little competition like we normally do with even our members, if anybody wants to join in on the Oscar picks over the next couple weeks, and we'll see who comes closest. And we will, on our next recording, or or in a couple recordings after the Oscar ceremony, we'll decide to see between Chris and myself who who got the most right in our picks. All right, Chris, we got a little bit of time left in our show before we got to wrap it up. So let's do a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to hit our best of the year recap. Sounds good. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys, it's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> an example. perfect example. You need to know you can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what, what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay. That 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like where they the, worked at the country club. Yes. yes. You know, when the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and mm-hmm. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh you know? yeah 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 so it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards <gasps> absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard <laughs> I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Just as a quick reminder, if you're interested in hearing past episodes that we have posted or just want to give us a review of the show, uh, you can go on either our website, themesh.tv, and look up old episodes. But we really encourage you to also go to Apple's iTunes and find us on the podcast store. Give us a star rating, give us a review, and uh, tell your friends, subscribe, all that good stuff. All the same jargon we normally say. I'm just breezing through it because we've still got a lot to cover. <laughs> Chris, one thing we have to do yes. uh, before we get into our best of 2015. Uh, so the mesh, the powers that be running the mesh tell yes. us that we're using Anchor as a, a new device, a new app to record audio messages and publish them online. So if it's okay, it. I'm, I'm going to record a two-minute preview for this episode we're right in the middle of kind of a meta thing we're doing here sure so that people can hear it before we've posted the episode so are you do okay you me, do you want me to provide like 
important Oscar-y theme music in the background as you report, record this No, message? I'd rather you not, actually. <laughs> actually, I'm just going to record, and you jump in with anything. We're going to do a quick two-minute preview. This is on Anchor, which is a cool new app, if you haven't tried it out, where we can leave each other audio messages. And we encourage you to hop online and, and respond back to us with your own audio message. So here you go, two-minute Anchor plug for this show. Hi, everyone. This is Alan. And I'm Chris. And we're here with Foot Candle Films. We are right in the middle of recording our episode. It's a great episode where we were doing a lot of things film-related. We're giving a review of the film Spotlight, starring Michael Keaton and many, many other people. We moved right into our Oscar picks for this year as the ceremony is coming up in just a few weeks. Chris and I gave all of our picks for what we think are going to win the Oscars as well as what we hope will win the Oscars of those. Basically, you can just close your eyes and vote Revenant on almost everything. For what's going to win, maybe not what we want to have win. So let's make a note of that. And now we're getting ready to go into our last portion of the show where we're actually going to do a recap of the 2015 films, talk about our favorite films of the year. We're going to talk about the worst film we saw released in 2015, the biggest disappointment, and the biggest surprise films all coming up here in the last part of the show. So the, we're recording it now. It'll be edited probably up in the next few days. So we encourage you to check it out. It's Foot Candle Films is the name of the show. You can find us on the mesh.tv network, or we'll be posting previews to it right here and links to it right here on Anchor. Trying out this new technology and uh, glad to be communicating via audio with all of you out there in social media land. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. And we'll look forward to talking to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Okay, good. So that's how we do it. So I've never done our cool. anchor before. It's so what that's, the kids are doing these it's days. It's all the kids. So, hey, we're staying hip and relevant, and that's great. Uh, Chris, yes. as we get into our best of 2015, what we decided to do is we were going to identify our five favorite pictures that we saw in 2015 released. We were going to talk about the worst picture we saw, our biggest disappointment in 2015, and our biggest surprise. Because we want to end the show positively, right? let's go ahead and get the worst film out of the way from the year. I don't know about you, but I, I, I wrote down all the films I saw that were released in 2015. I saw a lot more, but they were films released in other years. Sure. So really, I only saw 41 films that were released in 2015. Okay. Which, we're not professional film reviewers. We don't do this for a living. Our screeners keep getting lost in the exactly. mail. So it does need to be noted that I don't go out and seek to see bad movies. Right. I pretty much will not go see a movie if I know it's not supposed to be very good. So these 41 films I'm rating here are 41, for the most part, good films. You know, films I seeked out to want to go see. Sure. So when I tell you this is my worst film of 2015, I'm not saying it was the worst movie made. It was the worst one I saw out of a batch of films that I elected to go see in 2015. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I think you may know what mine is, but I'm curious to hear yours because I have no idea. So the worst film I saw in 2015 that was released in 2015 was Tomorrowland. Uh, Mainly because I think it's just a waste, a waste of talent, a waste of ideas, a waste of concept. And I was bored and frustrated at the end and felt like it was got preachy when it didn't need to be preachy. I thought it got convoluted when it didn't need to be convoluted. I just really did not like the film. So, and I, I was probably more out of a, it wasn't my biggest disappointment, but it was really close as well. And that, gotcha. you know, Brad Bird, George Clooney, it just could have done so much. And other outside of one or two really cool scenes early in the film, the rest of the film was just horrible, I thought. So mm. anyway, 
That's my okay. worst film of the year. What about yours? Well, you know, kind of like you, I don't go into movies because, you know, I don't have to see everything out there. So fortunately, I skip a lot of really bad movies because I don't mm-hmm. have to go see them. We usually, like you were saying, we're going to do our top five of 2015. Well, unfortunately, I have a bottom five of 2015. Because oh, wow. <laughs> uh, there were some that I saw that were bad, um, really bad. Two of which uh, I went to go see because I have children, but was surprised at how bad they were. Um, Minions. Mm. And what could be worse than that would be the SpongeBob, Sponge Out of Water movie. (laughs) Both of those were terrible. And I liked the character of SpongeBob. I was expecting something kind of clever, and it was just horrible. Mm. So those are my bottom movies. Then we have uh, Black Hat, which I would have thought would have been better. It has Thor being a spy. I thought that would be interesting. Mm. Not good, really boring. Then I've talked about it briefly on the show. My number two worst mm-hmm. movie of the year would be Chappie. Um, I was uh, really yeah. disappointed I in that you movie. talked about that one. That was going to be my number one movie, but at least Chappie was slightly entertaining because it was so bad. It was kind of interesting to see how it could fall apart, kind of like The Cobbler. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made The Cobbler kind of entertaining in a way because it was bad. My number one movie, just worst film I saw in 2015 is without a doubt Jupiter Ascending. Oh, see, I didn't get to see that. So, oh man, yeah, Pretty bad. Rough, huh? Yeah, and I like Channing Tatum. I like Mila Kunis, but you know the Wachowski brothers. They they usually put out something that's you know minorly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just. I mean, I fell asleep. It was hard to follow. Wow. It was just. It was just garbage up on screen. So awesome. yeah, worst film. Well, let's move on to our biggest disappointment then. And like I said, Tomorrowland was really close to being my biggest disappointment. It would have been my second one. But I've got to give that honor to another film that I had such high hopes for. And that was Steve Jobs. Uh, Uh, To me, Steve Jobs was the biggest disappointment because I think I even alluded to it during our review. This film was custom made for Alan going into it. Michael Fassbender, Danny Boyle. A film about Steve Jobs. I'm like, yes, everything is coming. <laughs> yes. To- I, I, I was those guys that would like break away from work to go watch the Steve Jobs keynotes whenever they were streaming live. Sure. So to know that this film was took place over three keynotes and it's just, oh, yes, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want. And I walked away so disappointed in how the film just did not work for me. So that was my biggest disappointment. It was not the worst film I saw of the year. It had some redeeming moments of it that bumped it up a little higher on my list. But it just it was a huge disappointment. You know, I, I spoke a little bit about it. Not my biggest disappointment of the year either. But um, you know what? I think it's kind of hearing our comments. And I, I liked it more than you did. But I was still – something was kind of off about it. I still wasn't as excited about it as I wanted to be. I think it's this year's Boyhood. And let me explain what I mean by that. Boyhood was an interesting piece of art, but as entertainment, it didn't work for me. Mm. I think the Steve Jobs movie is an interesting piece of art, how they took the idea of pinning it on three keynotes. Mm-hmm. They tried to do this kind of abstract painting of Steve Jobs, but as entertainment, it just didn't work. But as a yeah. piece of art, you know, it was, it was interesting. So. I, just, I just felt like it was really misguided. Okay. It just did not work the way I had hoped it would. So it was just, it was a big disappointment. I will say of the 41 films, it's also in the bottom five to six of the ones yeah. I saw too, quality wise, as far as my enjoyment of them. So. Fair enough. My biggest disappointment, not yeah. to anybody's surprise, was the uh, the Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. That was my yeah. second. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tomorrowland, Steve Jobs, Hateful Eight, those three all together are just very disappointing for me. So yeah. Gotcha. And Hateful Eight was in my bottom 10 of the 41 films I saw also. Okay. So 
Okay. So let's let's flip the scales a little bit and let's go positive, okay? Yes. Chris, what was your biggest surprise? And it could be a film or it could be even a performance. But what was your biggest surprise of 2015? My biggest surprise in 2015 was that Noah Baumbach put out two films and both were really good. Hmm. I expect him, you know, I've, in general, I liked them. I liked Francis Ha from a couple of years ago. But we reviewed while we're young on the show and I really liked it and I really responded to it. Well, then he came out in 2015 with another movie, Mistress America, and I liked that one equally as well, if wow. maybe not a little better. Hmm. Um, so that was my biggest surprise is that a director that I like put out two films in the same year, and they were both really, really good to me. Awesome. So that was kind of a cool surprise. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Truly, my biggest surprise of the year was Mad Max, Fury, Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Mainly because going into it, I'm trying to think of surprise in terms of when I first heard the film was being announced. It's like, oh, really? I mean, I remember Beyond Thunderdome. I went to go see that one several <laughs> times at the theater when I was a kid. It's like, really? We're, we're doing Mad Max over again? Sure. Oh, Tom Hardy's in it? Well, okay, he's a good actor, but still, I have no interest. Right. And I even remember you and I talking about it. We had no interest in seeing this film. So that truly was probably the biggest surprise to see not only how good it was, but now all the acclaim and attention it's getting. Uh, I'll say it's a little bit of a minor surprise. What would have been probably my biggest surprise truly because Mad Max Fury Road is kind of this big thing now that I, I, I kind of have a hard time saying it was a surprise. The film Danny Collins with uh, mm. Al Pacino was actually okay. one that just connected with me so much more than I ever expected it would. When we brought it to our film society, I thought it was going to be just a, hey, it's an Al Pacino film. And <laughs> okay, it's about music. And sure, I'm, I'm sure our crowd will appreciate it to some degree. Right. But I really like that movie. I've seen it. Three times now, actually. Really? Twice at the Film Society, and I've seen it another time at home. So uh, Okay, I, I've just, just seen really it that like once, it. but it, it's interesting that it holds up, too. It does. Okay. It's, just a good, it's just a good movie. Uh, okay. It's one of the best things Al Pacino's done in quite a while. I'll say that. Okay. All right, so um, our top five. Yes. Chris, how about, um, why don't you go first, and if you want to count up from five to one, and then I will do the same. Let's see if any of ours overlap at all. Okay. So. My number five is a movie that I've mentioned here on the show, I believe is one of my recommendations, but it is uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Okay. It's right. a big hit at Sundance, and I saw it and also really liked it. I have not seen that one yet, so okay. I'll have to make sure that's on my list. What do you have for number four? Number well, f- or do you want me to go back to my number five? Let me do number, number five. five. Just yeah. see if we, if we intersect it all down the road. Sure. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows is my number five. I, that may have come out in 2014, but I think it's it's – Technically hit the circuit right. in 2015. Sure. Uh, I know it was, was early in the year, so it's kind of maybe drifted off a lot of people's memory so far. But um, I just still love that movie. I think okay. it's hilarious. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in quite a while uh, as far as new movies coming out. I need to revisit that. Yeah. It's, it, it holds up really well. It's okay. actually It's like Anchorman and some of these other movies that I could watch over and over again when it comes on. The more I've seen clips from this movie, I just find myself busting out laughing. So that's my number five. What is your number four? My number four is going to be the movie, one of the movies that I just talked about. It's uh, Mistress America. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Going really, with some small films here in the top. That's yeah, nice. I think you may say this is this is the typical Chris Fry indie top five, but uh, just to give you a little bit of spoiler. But yeah, Mistress America definitely has my uh, number four slot. Interesting. So. That's another one I did not get to catch up with. Uh, my number four, I'm going to go a little more mainstream, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. It's okay. actually in my top five. I, I had even more appreciated for, appreciation for it the second time I saw it. In the first one and again just the sheer audacity of the film and the construction of it and I, it just it just was fun it was a fun exciting thrilling movie and i'm just happy that it's getting the acclaim it is right now 
Okay, fair enough. Yep. Uh, my number three is actually a documentary. Okay. And of all the documentaries I saw this year, which I saw a lot of really good ones, mm-hmm. the one that's going to make my top five is a uh, Cobain montage of heck. Oh, right. And after seeing that one, I, you know, I'm a big Nirvana fan anyway, liked them a lot. And just this documentary, the inventiveness, the animated parts of like taking pieces of his diary and animating them and just all around very interesting, really liked the way the documentary ended um, where they chose to stop in telling the story and or you know telling the story of his life it's just very interesting and the feeling that i had after it was just you know of course sadness very similar to amy um, but i guess i figure amy's getting a lot of acclaim whereas cobain's kind of being forgotten about <laughs> so mm-hmm. this documentary so uh, i really like it it's my number three well i've got to drop the the big the big spectacle bomb in here i mean but I, I do think Star Wars Episode Seven is my third favorite film of the year. I, I think it's really good. And even though I had some misgivings with it, I didn't think it was a perfect film. As I look back on the year and say, what did I really enjoy? What do I look forward to seeing again? Uh, it's really up there in my top five. So Star Wars The Force Awakens is my number three favorite film of the year. Again, I do want to stress, these are favorite films. Sure. As opposed to what I thought were maybe the best crafted films or the most expertly made films. This is really just for me. These are the ones I would want to watch again. So I feel really bad that, spoiler, Star Wars isn't anywhere in my top five. Mm. Um, it should be, but it's not. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I really, it was one of the best movie-going experiences yeah. I definitely had of 2015. Yeah. Well, what is your number three? Uh, or number two? Number two. Uh, my number two is a movie that I really liked. Um, it's a very talky-talky movie. Not mm-hmm. a lot of fancy directing or anything, mm-hmm. but the performances in it were great. And just something about, there again, the feeling I had after I watched it. Um, end of the tour. Yeah, I knew that I've, one was going to yeah. be up there for you. It's a big one for me. Jesse Eisenberg uh, does a really good job as like a Rolling Stone reporter mm-hmm. who goes to interview um, David Foster Wallace right. as being played by, what's the, Jason, Jason Siegel. Siegel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, just really like those two performances and kind of a smaller movie, but just kind of you feel like you're hanging out with two guys, two yeah. kind of interesting guys, but and both of them famous. And you just, I don't know, something about it just really worked for me. So, well, if it's okay with you, let me just go ahead and mention my two and one, and then oh. you can come back to your one. Okay. Just because we've, I've already talked about them almost nonstop in this okay. episode. Number two is Spotlight. Oh, okay. Spotlight really did right. I mean, last two nights ago, I saw it and I came home, plugged it in, and thought I'm thinking, where is this is falling this this list of 41. And it's number two. I just I really appreciate that film. Okay. And the number one I've already talked about it is Room. I've already <laughs> said that was my favorite film of the year. Cool. Still is. Seen it twice. I'd be happy to see it a third and fourth time. Just thought it was really well made. And yeah, it could have some arguments against it about it being a little on the nose later in the film, and it could have gone a little deeper in some places. But it just the emotion worked for me, and especially the lead. I call it lead actor performance of the young ah. Jacob Tremblay. Really, really good. And then, of course, Brie Larson, also equally good. So, And we've already talked about how we hope when Brie Larson wins the Oscar, she, she takes, at least, I know she'll reference Tremblay, yeah, she but has hopefully to. he's like she there with her. To. Yeah. It would be awesome if they could get him up there, too. Because, yeah. I mean, her performance depends on him. I mean, they, they depended on one another to make that, that movie work. Absolutely. So I went ahead and just spoiled that just because I'd already alluded to my, my number one already. So what is your number one film of the year? I'm kind of surprised it wasn't anywhere in your five. Mm-hmm. But then again, you probably would have thought Star Wars would have been in mind. Probably should have. Um, my number one's actually going to be Ex Machina. Okay. Um, it's in my, it's cracking into my top ten. Gotcha. But um, I actually think when we talked about the movie, I didn't love it 
as much as you did. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I know you loved it, and I really liked it. I need another viewing of it to, to reassess it, but it is right cracking into my top ten right now. Okay. But, um, yeah, I know I know you really appreciated that film. So. Big fan. Yeah. And uh, I would love to have seen Ex Machina get a little more attention with some awards and all, but I do think Alex Garland, the director, he's probably got some good things ahead of him because I, I know at least in the film-going community – He's gotten a lot of attention for this film. A lot Absolutely. of critics love this movie, so that's great. Well, the good thing is, here's what I love about it, is that you know our, our top fives are not too overly peppered with a lot of big blockbuster movies. True. I had Star Wars and Mad Max, sure, but the other three were very small films. Almost all your films are small films. Smaller, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. That's nice to make sure there's a little light shine on some of these other films that you may not be thinking of. So, that's great. Well, we're going to wrap up our episode. That is our extravaganza. That's right. Best of 2015 Oscar picks for the upcoming ceremony and our review of the film Spotlight. Uh, again, visit us on, on iTunes and the podcast store and review us and subscribe to us and drop us a note through our website at themesh.tv. We will be back with a future episode where we'll have some more reviews and news and recommendations of films to check out. And I'm sure after the Oscars are done, we'll do a quick recap to see how we did sure. uh, in our news section against our ballot as well. So thanks a lot for joining us today. We appreciate it, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.